0: Brock Pierce, Roger Ver, John McAfee. The Bad Crypto Hall of Fame has inducted many of these legendary blockchain personalities via this podcast. But today, we're pleased to welcome the man who has claimed to be part of the team that created the Bitcoin white paper, Satoshi Nakamoto. Dr. Craig Wright says Bitcoin Core is not true to his original vision, but Bitcoin Cash SV is. He's incredibly opinionated and doesn't care what you think. After all, he's got a super fat stack of Bitcoin. So join us for an insightful interview with the man who may or may not be the genius behind Bitcoin. It's the Satravis, not a Jolo. Episode number two hundred and forty-two. Of the Bad Crypto Podcast.
1: Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad?
0: Oh boy, welcome ladies and gentlemen, or in those that identify as fighter jets to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for those who are crypto curious, the show for those that are crypto serious, and the show for people who thought they were listening to Joe Rogan and ended up here.
2: Yeah, that happens so frequently. We we look just like Joe Rogan.
0: Collectively.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually not. We both have hair. That's true. And less, way less muscles and way less money.
0: That's also true. Uh, hey. But but we know cryptos and he don't.
2: We do know cryptos and he, and he don't. That's, that's for sure. Um, you know what? I want to say thank you guys for tuning in. We are the Blockchain Blockheads. If you do not know that by now... We're bad, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Heard in over 190 countries and uh, over 7 million downloads, which is pretty sweet. So we're very thankful for you guys for tuning in. Uh, Feel free to give us a call, 708-885-9030. Tell us what's on your mind. What's going on? How are you keeping warm in the crypto
0: winter? baby. It is cold. It's cold out there, baby. Well, helping keep you warm is our sponsor, Digitex Futures, their commission-free trading platform for Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin future contracts. Uh, Is it launched as of yet? I know they were getting ready to release the beta, and they had close to a million people. They have over a million now. Oh, my gosh. They want to get rid of transaction fees, withdrawal fees, deposit fees. No fees for those who want to trade. And that's super cool. It's got its own base crypto token, the DGTX Mm -hmm. token. And their hope is that as more traders are attracted to their zero fee revenue model, the more demand will be created for the token. And if that happens, the token price should steadily grow in value. The exchange has launched at badco.in forward slash futures you guys go check it out and thanks to the nice people at digitex for believing in bad crypto thanks for believing in us digitex zero fees won't hurt your fee (laughs) fees but your fee fees might get hurt if you are a bitcoin core supporter because dr craig wright aka satoshi nakamoto has something to say about it you guys get ready for an epic interview here it comes This is Travis Wright. We get to welcome your long lost brother to the show today. This is very exciting, folks. You guys are you guys are in for a real treat. (laughs) Okay, he might not really be your brother, but he does share the same last name because you are Travis Nakamoto, right?
2: I am Travis Nakamoto. (laughs)
0: <laughs> After a long time in the making, we're finally pleased to welcome Dr. Craig Wright to the show. He's an Australian computer scientist, businessman, and inventor. has been involved with Bitcoin since 2009 and claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, he's also working on a number of other projects, including Bitcoin SV, and he is the chief scientist for Enchain. We welcome him. He is currently in the UK. Hello, Craig Wright. How you doing?
1: Very well. Um, no, I'm not working for any other projects. I'm only working for Bitcoin. Uh, the difference is BTC is not Bitcoin.
0: All right, I love it. We're going to get right in there on it then. So let's let's just go for the uh, the question that everybody. You know, wants to know first. You've claimed to be the co-founder of Bitcoin. It says so on your LinkedIn page, and you said that you are Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh,
1: I don't remember it saying that on my LinkedIn page, but then who
0: knows? No, your your LinkedIn page says co-founder of Bitcoin, but it, you have claimed in the past to be Satoshi Nakamoto. Am I am I wrong about that?
1: Uh, well, I've no idea. I don't actually run a, uh, a LinkedIn page, so. If someone else is doing it for me, I couldn't say what it says. Right, right. But the question
0: is, is you have claimed in the past, unless I'm wrong, because I haven't seen the direct quote attributed, that you are Satoshi Nakamoto. So my question is, have you claimed to be Satoshi?
1: I said I was part of the creation. I've also said if you have a partnership and someone dies, it's no longer a partnership. So the
0: the Nakamoto part of the partnership died?
1: Well, there's no real part of the partnership. If you have KPMG and all the partners disappear, that you don't have a K or anything like that. You just have nothing. It's not an individual.
0: So so, so you're saying Satoshi Nakamoto is a pseudonym for uh, a group of at least two or more people that you were a part of? Um, I had help from Dave. <laughs>
1: I- Dave's not here. D-
2: Dave's not here, man. I uh, know Dave's not here.
1: Unfortunately,
2: <laughs> Dave is never going to be here again. Very nice. Now, so so, how does how is that relationship then with with Hal Finney? Because you know he's the one with the that received that very first transaction uh, on the Bitcoin blockchain. How how did how was that how did that
1: relationship work? Uh, hell, I like hell uh, or liked um, hell. Unfortunately, was, uh, like many other people in uh, the early space, uh, very anarchist and um, uh, crypto-radical in a way, uh, although in some ways less so than um, uh, in other things than even me. I mean, I always uh, pushed my um, tax claims to the limit. Tell uh, Hell never claimed anything. So it's funny that way. Yeah, the the Australian tax
0: office actually gave you a hard time. I guess there was a raid um, on uh, a business premise that you had in New South Wales that was raided by the Australian federal police uh, because of some investigation. What was that about?
1: Well, not already moved overseas. And basically it was to do with the doxing and people sent a whole lot of things through as they do. If you're going to dock someone, you also um, make a whole lot of false claims in, about um, all the naughty things they're doing, and uh, yeah, that's the fun of not have, of anonymity. Uh, anonymous uh, claims suck. Personally, pseudonymous works. If you make a claim and it's spurious, you should be able to be dragged over the coals.
2: Now, were you planning on staying anonymous the whole time, and, and if and if so, what sort of preempted you to stand up and say, "Hey, I was part of the founding group"? Because if I mean, it does seem like the an- anonymity would be helpful in this in this case.
1: Uh, well, I didn't really stand up in December twenty fifteen. Suddenly, I have everyone and their dog running around uh, saying uh, everything that I have or haven't done and pulling it apart. Um, A paid article at Forbes saying that um, they checked with the university and whatever else um, is now on things like Wikipedia considered more authoritative than the university. Mm. Uh, So, I mean, the reality is uh, it wasn't me coming out and doing anything in 2015. I was at that point trying to avoid media.
0: Yeah, the the article, I think the one that came out that you're referencing was in Wired in 2015 and the headline was Bitcoin's creator Satoshi Nakamoto is probably this unknown Australian genius. And that's uh that's where this whole thing began of of outing you.
1: Yes, well, it turns out that um that was rather well set up. They'd been talking to um both uh, Wired and um, Gizmodo separately and um, going into this whole uh, making sure that it went into a debacle scenario. Um, I had people um, working with me, told me, don't worry, Wired will take forever and a day and uh, they'll do whatever because they want this story. And I'm going, "Uh, maybe we should address something and whatever else. And unfortunately... um, um, others have been setting up a whole lot of sort of misinformation across different sources.
2: So what, what, the one question that I always had that I thought was really interesting was that, you know, um, Gavin Andreessen, he, um, he had actually said that, yeah, Craig is Satoshi. And then the whole Bitcoin core community ostracized him and kicked him out uh, of the, uh, not allowed him to do any more code and stuff. I mean, what was what was that all about? Because I mean, here was a guy coming and standing up and saying, "Yep, Craig was part of this," and then the community ostracized him. Why? Why do
1: you think that happened? Because I'm with I'm really their worst nightmare. Uh, Bitcoin's not anarchist. It's not designed to bring down the system. It's not designed to corrupt law or anything like this. Bitcoin's actually designed to work within the existing legal framework. So. Uh, not everyone knows, but um, I'm a legal researcher as well. I'm with the University of Leicester. I'm doing my Doctor of Law at the moment, and I also present up there and uh, write legal papers and this sort of stuff. And um, there's nothing new within Bitcoin legally. The whole concept that it's distributed, that it's a blockchain, companies are distributed. Over-the-counter trades are distributed. There is nothing that isn't already covered under law. And in fact, um, Bitcoin is probably more super legal than most things. The issue people don't get is that um, uh, anonymous currencies like um, eCash, for instance, uh, the problem with why they stopped wasn't that they were a central organization. That made it easier to target. But... Um, The reality there was um, a bankruptcy can bring down anything. Now, eCash was targeted because it was anonymous. So the difference with Bitcoin is by having a ledger that allows tracing and privacy rather than anonymity, uh, it enables competing organizations, which is distributed, to act as a clearinghouse that clearinghouse becomes no one body. So you enable what effectively is a peer-to-peer session between you and another person to do trade. Now, peer-to-peer doesn't mean anything to do with mining or nodes. That's a separate issue. Peer-to-peer is, for instance, if we want to trade, the two of us can exchange a transaction. Now, that that's not new. Now, show me an eCash going back into the 90s uh, and his concept in the 80s, solved all that. And there have been a number of e-cash systems that have. The new part is the solution to double spending. Bitcoin's really a double spending solution, a settlement or clearinghouse function. And we can now trade without having to worry about uh, someone doing a double spend on us because miners actually put the controls in place to ensure that that occurs. That's fairly much it. That's what people aren't getting. So with the original team, then, with uh,
2: that that sort of, you know, used the pseudonym, um, you know, the Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, was there part of any intelligence agencies if any of the five eyes around the world or any of that part of that because what you're telling me and how you're telling joel and i about how this was never meant to be anonymous this is meant to be within the system is it's almost because i've had thoughts around this from reading that original 1996 nsa white paper is this you know uh, the the um uh the the beginnings of that sort of one world currency or whatever because if we all over the next you know, however many years, we, if everyone adopts this and this philosophy and all dollars can be traced and all of this stuff. Is this the beginning of, of that sort of a, a sort of a thing? If it's not anti, you know, the system and it is part of the system, is it, does it have a controlling mechanism in there that could actually be detrimental to society
1: down the road? Because they're not relevant. The nature of both of those is seeking an anonymous monetary system. Bitcoin was never designed to be anonymous. The problem with anonymous is it's extremely easy to stop. People think that, um, hey, I'm anonymous, the law can't get me. The reality is there are no unmapped Tor nodes. There are no systems that can't be mapped back. Uh, Over a decade ago now, I I did some research and wrote some papers to do with um, uh, using neural networks to model systems. And we looked at the, uh, the nature of um, uh, the communication channels, the format of the TCP packets, uh, timing, et cetera. And we could work out not only the uh, individual machine, but the version of Windows it was running, uh, what applications it might have on it, etc. And that's just by network analysis. Now, the problem people don't seem to understand is if you're going to do something like Creating an anonymous cash, there's existing laws in the US. There's Taras, which uh, is a uh, it's a law to do with the creation of anonymous bearer bonds and bearer instruments. Um, and effectively, you can argue uh, fairly easily that um, things like Zcash are an electronic bearer instrument, and um, that makes them actually illegal in the US. Now. If you're going to have that as illegal, you just get found with one. And um, it's very, very simple. You're just illegal. So it's like child porn or something. The police pull you up and say you have an illegal bearer instrument. Um, That's a reason to be seized. And once the police and others start understanding this, like they already do in some cases with other bearer instruments, Um, then it's just going to start being enforced. So you create an anonymous coin, and you're just asking for it to um, fail.
0: I I hate to to say, you know, anonymous coins in the same breath as child porn, but illegal is illegal, so I I guess. So that would include Monero as well. By the way, I, I... didn't mean any insensitivity towards Dave. I was not aware that uh, that Dave Kleiman had claimed to be the partner that invented Bitcoin. And apparently he passed away in 2013. So I'm sure. He passed sure away he,
1: long before all of this. So.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he was a friend of yours. And so uh, sorry. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. And it looks like he uh, he passed prematurely. And and uh, at the age of 21, he was named U.S. Army soldier of the year. So he, uh, he served our country. Well, now I don't want to beat a dead horse, but it's not quite dead yet. So I want to beat it just a second more, uh, because a lot of people in our mastermind group and our listeners wanted to know if you could prove that you are Satoshi. And of course the research that I showed shows that, um, you signed and verified a message using the private key from block number one and block number nine of newly generated coins. And then others said, well, that's just a scam. Um, I know that we're not going to get a definitive answer other than what you have to tell us, but just please speak to that.
1: So basically, no matter what I do, even if I published online, the answers already came out uh, very shortly after the thing with Gavin saying that even if I did, that I've stolen them. Then I've taken them from Dave. I've found someone else. I beat up Satoshi and killed him was one of the things that was on Reddit for a while. The simple answer is, there's no way I can make people believe, and why why would I care? At the end of the day, that's proof of social media. If you care about who I am more than the technology, then you care. But I don't. What I care about is the technology. So at the end of the day, do I need someone to believe me? Absolutely not. If I want to, I can go out there and I can prove to an individual to any extent I wish. But why does that mean I have to prove to the world?
0: So. But it doesn't. You don't You don't owe the world anything, especially if you really are uh, one of the, the members of the team that created it. I just want to say thank you.
1: You're welcome. So, I mean, the irony is people sit there talking about uh, privacy and rights and um, then expect me to give up mine. But the reason that they don't really want me to be all of this is I'm not anarchist. But then Bitcoin's not. I mean, if you think about it for a minute, you have the ultimate anti-anarchist device. You have an immutable ledger that never goes away that is digitally signed, holding every bit of information that is ever transacted. Now, it's private. You and I know each other's identity, but no one else does. Um, and the police would have to basically get a warrant or something and make one of us talk to know about the other, etc. and follow things back. So, again, it's private, but it's not anonymous. And that's important. Um, if you've read um, Ring of Gyges or... Anything by Plato on that type of topic or anything else there, the sort of nature of anonymity changes us. It doesn't help. Being accountable is actually very important. And when we're talking about monetary transactions, accountability is critical. Now, the problem, what we find, is actually the destruction of Silk Road. Now, everything was following uh, a particular order. Uh, people weren't trying to add things like CLTV or uh, other time protocols like Op Block Height uh, had already been uh, rejected and uh, Blue Mat had accepted that and understood that it's a bad thing until, well, Silk Road got taken down and they found out it wasn't anonymous, as it always been saying. And the problem there is suddenly. Everyone wants to change the system, like Zcash, making uh, minowimble and um, uh, SegWit, so that they can put side chains in to lose information. And there's only one reason to have Lightning to lose information. That's to make a version of Silk Road that actually works. And I'm sorry to tell you, it's never going to happen. It's not something you can solve technically, as much as you want to. Eventually, you're going to be tracked and traced. And if they can't do it on chain, they will set up and monitor things beforehand.
2: So then I guess you would say that maybe Bitcoin Core got sort of the power of that, has has been usurped by some of these anarchists, are in control of Bitcoin Core's code now? Is that what's happened?
1: No, money has to be neutral. So the key aspect here is not to make it friendly to crime but also not to make it uh, too easy for government. It has to be something that is recorded, that allows business and everything like that to have complete um, control. Fungibility is a legal construct. It's not technical. It's um, something people get wrong all the time. Fungibility doesn't matter if you've got um, uh, tainted coins. If you accept them without knowledge, then that's fungible. You, You don't need to check... Uh, U.S. dollar bills to see if they've been used 50 times in the last week for um, uh, sort of swiping up cocaine. Um, So the reality here is um, you need to um, just have the legal constructs in place. Now, what this actually takes us to is a scenario that protects business and consumers. Now, the reality here is if you're a businessman you want to be able to take money without having it reversed. And if you're a consumer, you can actually put escrow mechanisms in place so that you're not um, defrauded by business. So together, all of these controls allow us to create a system that uh, records invoices, that simplifies transactions, that um, opens up communications over the um, entire internet. So really, as far as it goes, it's um, bringing back what the NSA doesn't like because it's old-fashioned computer sort of um, policing where you have to actually go out there and do detective work and investigate things and ask questions and get people to roll over on other people and all that stuff. Right now the NSA's idea is to sit there and monitor the internet traffic of everyone and um, just see what happens. So Bitcoin's not favourable for that either. So we have something that is... Well, actually, taking us back a little bit in policing and um, opening it up to um, how things used to be.
0: So you're uh, you are very outspoken, which I admire. And uh, just a few days ago, well, actually January twenty eighth, depending upon when this airs, you referenced BTC, which you also lovingly and affectionately um, classify as core coin or bitcon you said it's headed to zero and you'll enjoy the ride down Uh, why do you think that btc is no longer true to uh, being what was in the white paper
1: so in the white paper you have something um, that isn't designed to be anonymous Uh, the concept is miners are nodes and nodes are miners. If you actually bring the white paper open, and you read what a node is. It's extremely explicit. To be a node, you have to uh, verify and build on transactions. So, if you're not actually doing that, you're a waste of space. There's no such thing as a full node that is not a miner. Full stop. You're not doing anything. You're you're what's called a sybil. You are effectively an attacker, you're slowing down propagation at best and holding back the growth of the blockchain. Why? Because of a bunch of idiots with this sort of utopian idea of drug markets, bucket shops, and illegal activity that will be suddenly out there and working because, well, they're going to find a way. Um, I may have liked Tim May. Um, He was a wacky bastard. But when it comes to these ideas, he was utterly incorrect and wrong. The problem all of these anarchists have is they're not the majority. They are minority people. They are the 1% at the bottom because no one wants their ideas. That's very much simply it. They can sit there and say all this would be wonderful, but the reality is no one will ever vote for them. And they can sit there and say how wonderful this society would be, except they will never have a society because, very frankly, every single anarchist experiment has failed. There have been 1,600 that I know recorded, and every one of them failed have uh, usually ended up with either severe bodily damage to other people or death or both. So they have that in common with
0: uh, socialism?
1: Yes. It's all just a form of collectivism. Now, the idea um, that they're anarchist are different, Marx didn't want a society, a state. Marx actually foresaw the collapse of the state, and um, there was no leader. Everyone would be equal, etc. So uh, this false idea of anarcho-capitalism is really Marxist. It's Marx rebadged.
2: So I guess my question on that, Dr. Wright, would be, why did you fork off of Bitcoin Cash instead of like a previous version of, of Bitcoin Core that you were
1: in agreement with? Fairly much, yes. Um, but Bitcoin Core forked away to add SegWit and a number of other things. Um, and they're just experimenting. They have no idea how Bitcoin works still. Um, they seem to think that you can actually increase the, um, uh, the mm-hmm. hop count and make things work. A uh, paper like I keep pointing out years ago from uh, Microsoft research team on red balloons and Bitcoin uh, basically demonstrated that there's no way to secure a distributed network like this with uh, network distance of more than three. Now, Bitcoin, as it works properly, forms a high centrality node. That doesn't mean centralized, as everyone uh, points out. It, it's a graph theoretic term. Centrality means everyone's connected. Now, connected nodes are good they propagate all the information quickly if you want something that is impossible to censor to stop then you need high centrality if you have multiple hops you are easy to subvert so the irony of their position in trying to make something like lightning or whatever else is they are creating the exact thing that they're trying to stop
2: i want to ask i want to ask about Um, so one of the things that, you know, we've had a lot of conversations, we've had a lot of folks on the show, we've done over 300 episodes of bad crypto. And so we've interviewed a lot of really smart folks. And one of the things that has come up time and time again is Bitcoin mining and that, and the 51% hash rate problem and how you have sort of the consolidation of power in China with folks like Jihan Wu and Bitmain and how they're able to have so much, you know, computing power. Now, is that something that maybe wasn't considered in the original, you know, 10 years ago of people using GPUs and then getting to the point where they're using ASIC computers and quantum computers or something because it seems like the power got taken away from the individual and it moved towards people who have enough resources to hog a lot of the hash rate.
1: Never. There's no power to the individual in mining. That was never any aspect of what bitcoins about. The the incorrect concept um, of everyone running everything. It's just asinine. Uh, If you read early uh, forum posts, you'll see that uh, Bitcoin was designed and was going to end up in uh, data centers. And that was stated right back from the beginning. So miners. So if you want to run a network, new transactions, you have to broadcast to all nodes. So effectively, small uh, small world network. Each node collects new transactions into a block. So every node consolidates those and creates blocks. Right there at point two, we have the nature of forming blocks or mining. Each node works on finding a difficult proof of work. So after it's formed a node block candidate, it will now try and show that it has done this and um, puts in a lot of effort into doing it, which is the proof of work aspect, so that it well, has skin in the game and can't cheat. And then it will broadcast blocks to all nodes, not every user. So we're going back to the not everyone needs to be a UUCP um, or uh, Usenet uh, or email server aspect of all of this. Uh, I shouldn't even say UCP, it just shows I'm old. Um, You're not that, not that cool. old,
0: <laughs> you know, just,
1: you'll, you'll, you'll get there though, Lord willing. So, but I mean, at the end of the day there, if you go and read what attackers do, attackers can double spend. They can't change anything. I mean, the concept of soft forks and hard forks isn't Bitcoin. Bitcoin protocol set in stone. The security is we have the protocol fixed, no new opcodes, no changing the protocol drastically. Anything that changes all that isn't Bitcoin. And then 51% attacks don't get to change the protocol, they split off and there's something else. So the so called 51% attack is only an attack when you actually allow people to do soft forks, to do hard forks, to alter the protocol again and again. What was your initial feeling
0: about the the Bcash fork? Uh,
1: Well, it wasn't when uh, Bitcoin Cash became. It wasn't so much a fork. It wasn't It wasn't. Um, It altered some parts as well as um, core. So it's difficult to say because uh, Bitcoin Cash altered less than Core. So neither of them should have. But but now we've uh,
0: got SV, right? So you're not a fan of Roger Ver. You're not a fan of Bcash. Um, so what, what about Bcash are you opposed to?
1: So there are U.S. cases that I've been tweeting about. So the creation of software for purpose is different from the ability to have something that allows you to create software. So what people don't understand is it's already decided through the U.S. courts that someone creating a compiler is not treated the same as someone specifically creating gaming software. Now, that was actually decided uh, back in 2012, um, and there have been Previous cases about it as well. So, if you actually create something targeted at an industry, you are treated differently. Now, if you look at uh, some of the things on Bitcoin.com, they're sitting there going, DSV will allow us to do um, gambling and allow us to do these things. That's called a bucket shop. It's illegal. I mean, you can sit there and say all you want, but the mere creation, of a smart contract doing that makes you an illegal actor. And if you build that into the protocol, you have specifically created software that is designed to break the law. Now, that then removes legitimate use. You cannot have a illegal drug market that also sells Panadol. I mean, it's that simple. So it's no longer neutral money. With the scripting language fixed, as we've been doing with SV, now suddenly you actually have something that you can do anything on. It's the irony. We can actually do it better than they want to do anyway. So the irony of all the situation is they want to create these things that are specifically illegal, and creating a smart contract to do that may be still illegal, but it wouldn't impact the rest of the ecosystem. So what they're doing is they're putting a limitation on how you can use money. They're making it a subset of the whole, which I don't believe in. I didn't expect uh, sort of the path on Bitcoin Cash, and we'd already helped um, fix some of the opcodes, et cetera. Uh, So um, the main difference now is the difficulty algorithm, which will be reversed again eventually, um, and a few other bits and pieces to be removed. (laughs) So, all that's going to happen in time. Now, effectively, we have to, um, uh, yeah, it's easier to fix things from where we were. Uh, I mean, not everyone likes the original protocol. That's why we have Bitcoin Core trying to break everything they can. But, funny thing is, the Bitcoin original protocol allows you to do about everything you could ever imagine. And Protocols need to be simple. For a network to be effective, like the reason the internet took off was it was simple. You allowed people to build layers. Now, lightning's not a layer. I'm sorry to tell them. uh, Layers mean building within. So, if you look at the OSI stack, you look at any model, you look at network theory, to be a layer, it has to be inside. Lightning is an external thing, which makes it a, uh, a gateway protocol so lightning is able to also communicate between ethereum and uh, other things like that so sorry to say lightning side chains are not scaling solutions they are not anything like this they're just parasitic uh, sort of gateway protocols the same as ipx tried to do Whoops. In, uh, Craig, network.
0: speaking of parasitic, uh, at least that's how I would term it. What do you think of the way that Bcash and Roger have seized upon the Bitcoin brand, um, thus leading to so much confusion in the marketplace? Because Bitcoin.com and at @Bitcoin are both Bcash-related brands, a- and uh, Core, you know, along with that, do you think that having a Bitcoin SV is just adding? to the confusion in the public mindset of what Bitcoin actually is?
1: The whole focus of the public mindset is the problem. Bitcoin um, needs to be an informational um, commodity. So to make it work, we need to start having people use it. Now, use will require what we had back in 2013, not um, the Silk Road part, but things like Fatcom and um, others who are actually storing data on the chain You know all this, we can't do that, everything will get too bloated. Good. Um, I'm hoping it all gets too bloated because that's the only way miners end up earning money. So the subsidy, not the mining reward, the mining subsidy is already ending. In not too much longer, it's going to halve again and then halve again. As that happens, there's not going to be any artificial boost um, anymore. The, um, the US government, the British government, the Chinese government, if someone tries to do a pump, I'm going to crack down. I mean, Tether is effectively uh, an illegal um, uh, instrument, for want of a better word, uh, a minted coin. Uh, tokens don't need to be physical. That's uh, existing case law from a long time ago. Writing doesn't need to be on paper that's well-established case law. Um, so I'm, I'm actually presenting a number of papers, uh, some this month actually, um, on these topics. So because of my uh, uh, law research, etc. so they're going to start coming out again. And um, um, as I start teaching judges and lawyers and barristers and uh, attorneys and whatever else, how, what the actual nature of Bitcoin is and And clear up the facts, we're going to start finding a totally different environment. Now, what we want is a way of allowing people to transact over the blockchain. Um, I don't know if you know how expensive EDI is, but um, well, we can do EDI for under 1% of what the, the costs are now. And it's a multi-trillion-dollar industry. So if you basically take an industry and you um, fractionalize their costs, you make money. So at the end of the day... And that's electronic data interchange, correct, Just so everybody knows, EDI? That is correct. And, in fact, SWIFT happens to be a form of EDI. So uh, what people don't realize is uh, in... Filing intellectual property against these things for the last few years while everyone was ignoring me um, allowed us to capture a few things that uh, have just been granted or about to be granted, Uh, things like um, DFAs, so deterministic finite automata uh, defined through blockchain smart contracts, uh, uh, something we're about to be awarded a patent for, uh, which would include bonds, Um, Actually, it would include the whole security token market. So uh, unfortunately, while everyone was running around doing ICOs being anarchist, I've already patented the whole STO bit, and that should be granted any time now. On top of that, we have um, just general usage of um, EDI from banking. So um, as I was saying with that, SWIFT is actually a form of EDI. So the message, inter-message bank format of SWIFT. So a lot of people are running around thinking that they can capture um, uh, blockchain as a SWIFT alternative. Uh, EDI was one of the early patent areas I also targeted. Uh, you don't write down why you're doing it because then people focus on the financial aspects. But um, in patenting, uh, EDI over the blockchain also means we... And capture swift which will be fun
2: now i want to talk about that because you said you know the icos and anarchists and all of these different you know what's lovingly called coins out there are there any of them that you know that you've seen that that show real value that you think that's gonna that's gonna stand the test of time and then i also want to get into maybe the evolution of that into those you know, security token offerings and and how you think that's going to look, and this and this, you know, raising of money in the future is going to look for companies like this in the crypto space.
1: Uh, I don't think will change anything. So um, people don't realize, but this is um, old scams and new bottles. If we go back to the '90s, there was a a number of um, sort of equivalent scenarios. Um, if people think about Wolf of Wall Street, the Stratton Briggs. Scenario was really penny stocks and um, pink sheets being traded at times on a BBS. So we take that into something like um, WebIPO and um, Freestock, um, WebIPO.com, Freestock.com, and um, the many others that popped up as um, sort of uh, sites to sell securities um, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. These were actually either you could dial in with modems, or they had uh, web sort of uh, very simple web interfaces that allowed you to buy and sell tokenized shares. So early ICOs, Mm really. Now people think tokens are new. The first tokens actually go back to the 1950s. They're that old.
2: I started. I started token. I started token back in the 80s.
0: (laughs) Yeah, probably not the same thing. Well. (laughs) you're very verbal (laughs) about some of the other voices in the blockchain space in particular you know one of the most respected names is uh, andreas Antonopoulos, uh, who is yet to be on the show we hope we can have him on soon but um recently you basically called him a coin expert and you said uh i'm just going to read your Mm -hmm. tweet word of warning the renowned Coin expert Andreas Antonopoulos is as far as anyone can come to understanding Bitcoin. The only thing correct: how to spell Bitcoin. If you want to learn Bitcoin blockchain, avoid the anarchist priests. Sorry, nothing he tells you is right.
1: Wow. Yes, unfortunately, that is about as accurate as you can get. I really hate the fact that it is, but um, it's taking the lies that have propagated as they're trying to make this. Non Bitcoin thing into Bitcoin, so Bitcoin was peer-to-peer because it had IP to IP and other exchange mechanisms in it. Not the mining. Everyone shouldn't be a node. That was made very clear in um, communications on forums, etc. In the early days, everyone doesn't need to be a node. They pay nodes to process transactions. That's the nature of what it is. There's a competitive process where people fight to validate your transactions, and on top of this, they actually compete to find errors with other people's transactions. So first thing is everyone sits there and says, uh, and this is where Roger had an error and made a 1.01 megabyte block at one stage, and everyone jumped up and down going, ha-ha, look what we've done. Do you realize no home user nodes found that? None. That was discovered by miners. Nothing was stopped because of that. Only miners. Nothing didn't propagate because of that. Only miners. The only people that had anything to do with discovering the block that didn't meet the consensus were miners. No home user had any input. So basically... Their nodes did nothing but chew up bandwidth for the sake of chewing up bandwidth, for costing them money, for the sake of costing them money. They gave zero, and I mean zero, sort of um, mitigation of risk. It was completely miners that solved that problem. And why? Because they were economically incentivized to have an information flow that would be correct. They were incentivized to pull out miners, uh, uh, Roger's block, what he found that they didn't agree with, that wasn't part of the consensus, and reject it. Because in doing that, they have a chance of finding another block. There are one for four blocks per day. Orphans actually mean that you have a chance of 144 blocks a day. So if you can invalidate other miners' blocks, that's a good thing. If you can do that, it increases your profitability as a miner who is not getting orphan blocks. That's something of Bitcoin people haven't really understood. Miners are incentivized to find errors in other miners. So I guess,
2: there's so many questions we could ask. I think we're probably going to have to have you come back on another time because you're 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 really giving some you know high level answers and this is great stuff. And our, our audience is going to love this. One of your one of your tweets recently you said that um, this came out on the 28th of January. You said I own more BTC than you of any of you. Uh, my only comment regarding CoreCoin BTC is that it's headed to zero. I will enjoy the ride down. So you own more BTC than anyone then. Why, why did you maybe not sell uh, you know the sell of those big huge chunks last year when they were like you know 20
1: grand or so because
2: and now it's going all the way down to zero are you just gonna lose that value
1: uh, it's not real value for a start now that's the gambling mentality people have um, and it's also mm. just thinking the wrong way um, I live in a Win Lambo, win Moon. We all want to know, win Moon. I've already got Lambo. And, um, He's already got Lambo. <laughs> it's true. Um, I've got Lambo. I'm picking up another sports to, um, uh in a few days. Do you, do you pay for uh, those with Bitcoin uh, then? Um, I in Either directly or indirectly. If I can't pay for them directly, then I go through um, various services that allow me to transfer. So... Uh, Either directly or indirectly. I live mm. off my Bitcoin. So That uh, um, so enables a pretty good lifestyle. I mean, I don't really care about meta. But, Everyone seems to think that um, um, I should dump and do whatever else, and that doesn't help anyone. If I do that, then, one, that's actually uh, probably going to get me in a lot of trouble. Uh, even with commodities and all the rest, there is market manipulation. So, Large holders are supposed to announce intention and things before they do it. And um, what am I doing? If it's a security, but it's not a security, of course, right. Right. security. So yeah, mm-hmm. commodities are securities yeah. too. You're confusing securities and equities. Equities are a subclass okay. of securities, and um, so are commodity rights. Um, a forward contract, etc., over a commodity is a security. Now. That's what. People are. So, how should
2: the SEC, how, how should the SEC or the IRS or the CFTC organization in America, how should they classify these? Because they all are viewing them differently. You know, the if IRS is property.
1: The CFTC, come it depends. They are all. The, it's all it depends on use. So, if I use uh-huh. it in a transaction to pay for a coffee, then it is a monetary payment exchange. If I use it to hold a smart contract, then it is a negotiable instrument. If I'm doing a forward promise on a contract, then it is um, basically either a forward or a future-type transaction, a derivative. If I hold it as an STO, it is an equity, a share. So uh, Mm -hmm. if I use it as a commodity to save information on the ledger, then it's a commodity. So it's all of the above. It's like gold. What is it? Well, it can be bullion. It can be coin. It can be jewelry. It can be electronic products. How do you use it? And each of those things needs to be taken as the fact of the case. So the problem at the moment is you have a whole lot of people trying to confuse everyone rather than addressing all the use cases and explaining where it is and isn't. So that's the issue. Sounds like digital assets need to maybe have its own commission. Well, not really. It just needs to be covered um, off in how it's being used. So there's nothing particularly special about how something gets used. I mean, if you use it for doing a trade, you've used it for doing a trade. If you've used it for paying for a coffee, you have paid for a coffee. If you can um, create a smart contract, you've created a contract. So document the use And the great thing with a immutable blockchain is that you can actually incorporate the use case into the transaction. And save all of that. One last question
0: for you, Dr. Wright, before we let you go, and that is, you know, your thoughts on the other developments in blockchain that open up um, various applications via smart contracts. So now we've got, you know, EOS and Ethereum and Cardano and these other platforms that are broadening the practical applications of what we can do with blockchain. What are your thoughts on those?
1: Oh, they're not broadening anything.
0: There are a whole lot of of scams. Can you tell us how you really think? You know, don't hold back.
1: (laughs) Ethereum actually had a real use case, which stemmed from the fact that um, uh, Core restricted what Bitcoin was. Uh, Unfortunately, that led to that problem. Now, on the other hand, uh, and in fact, Ethereum, um, it's not actually uh, scalable. Now, I'll give you a little secret. I've got some um, papers coming out showing how Turing uh, complete Bitcoin is um, and the nature of how it works. Um, a number of years ago now, people uh, Nick Sabo actually told me, well, if it is go uh, write a paper. Well, I did. Actually, I've written four, and they've all been accepted through peer, peer review. But what I also did was, um, seeing as no one could understand it, I filed seven patents. So, all right, so let's imagine that um, I have a payment channel, just normal everyday uh, Nakamoto-type payment channel, and I can send you transactions back and forth, right? And I can increment them using N-sequence, um, which gives me quite a number of like, over $4 billion, um, at least uh, sort of increments per um, exchange. Now, before we settle on chain... Each of us can negotiate basically a new version. I can send you a transaction, you can do a computation, and I can send you the next one and the next one and the next one, and we can take the values and loop it that way before we store it on-chain because what we're doing is ensuring that there are no double spend. So if we're doing two parties actually communicating to each other, we can even ensure using a... A combined signature or an access chain or something like this that neither of us can cheat. How do we not cheat? Well, because quite simply, uh, if it's a two of two transaction and I get um, I equals one, then continue to loop off chain. But everything's absolutely secure. The issue people are not getting is that when you're talking between the same parties and there's a multi-sig transaction then there's no risk of it not being secure if you're paying more each time. So if I'm sending you an updated transaction and you're getting incrementally larger fees, small fees at a time, then you're not going to cheat and go, ha I'm going to take lower fees because I want to jump in there and take less fees and, and loop it earlier. Because all you do is you then send it out to another person who completes from where you were. So if we now take that to parallelized computing, if we look at um, uh, GPU uh, form computing with uh, CUDA, C-U-D-A, what we end up with is a series of unrolled loops that run in parallel with very similar um, sort of unrolled transactions that are run across thousands of processes. And what we can do is then check as a predicate the ones that end correctly, and each of those now can be rolled in a payment channel. So effectively, we can actually do everything that we can do on a HPC Hmm. um, in Bitcoin. Interesting. And have massive computation. But bigger than Ethereum ever will and more safely. I mean, we're not talking needing to shard or anything like that. It's all actually solved.
0: Uh, Craig, since you have such uh, outward opinions of others and aren't afraid to say what you think, let's do a free word association on a few of our former guests on Bad Crypto. Just be real brief and say the first thing that comes into your mind. Are you ready? Michael Turpin. Who's that? Patrick Byrne. Uh,
1: interesting guy.
0: Brock Pierce.
1: Uh won't say that on air. <laughs>
0: Peter Schiff. Uh,
1: can't rem- I've heard the name, but I can't remember who it is.
0: Yeah, he's the he's the gold guy. He's uh, he says Bitcoin is crap and and uh, oh, precious oh, metals one, yeah. are.
1: Um, that's because he has no idea and doesn't understand it. I mean, the concept of gold is very simple to um, discredit. Um, gold is very difficult to audit. I mean, um, uh, this whole concept of having to cut bars in half to make sure that they don't have um, titanium and uh, randomly destroy them every now and again is just insane
0: okay the final one john
1: mcafee <laughs> um, the guy should have stopped snorting 80 years ago <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh. Good stuff. Uh, Craig Wright, thanks for uh, for joining us today. We are going to have to invite you back to talk some more. All the links to uh, various articles, sites are in the show notes. And uh, thanks again, Craig. We appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Travis Wright. We got so many links in the show notes from this episode with Dr. Craig Wright at badcode.in mm-hmm. forward slash 242. If there's ever been a show notes that you have gone to to check out all the articles we've referenced in an interview, this is the one.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean that was a, that was a very informative interview. That dude is really smart. I mean, the questions we asked him, he handled, he, he he nailed them and then he was saying things that I know that through your and I's conversation afterwards, it was like, wow, like my head's spinning a little bit. He said he said so many words some of which I didn't even know.
0: <laughs> you know i'm thinking is his full name is craig Stephen wright and and because and we linked to his wikipedia page in the uh in the show notes but i think that as tribute we also need to link to the Stephen wright wikipedia page who is possibly the best stand-up comedian that has ever graced god's green earth
2: i would not have him in my top five are you serious yeah no he's not in my top five
0: Okay, well, there's just something wrong with you then. Now, now, really?
2: It, so, so who's your top five? So, Bill Hicks is in my top five. Bill George Hicks, Carlin, great.
0: yeah, George Carlin,
2: uh, Mitch Hedberg. Okay, um, I like Robin Williams. Okay, and uh, who's my other fifth? Is in the the top one. Um, there's one other
0: one, and it's not Stephen Wright. Like, oh, his one-liners are just the the best one-liners ever. And his-
2: he's one of the very best one-liner comedians of all time. Although I like Mitch Hedberg. He he cracks me up. Mitch Hedberg cracks me up more than Stephen Wright cracks me up. Hmm. But I love those one-liner stuff. That's good.
0: Sometimes you can't hear me because I'm talking in parentheses. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah he is very funny hey thanks everybody for listening to the show if you haven't subscribed yet then please do just wherever it is you listen click the subscribe button and if you haven't reviewed the show yet i know it can sound like a broken record please review the show please review the show hey please review the show just take a minute you know if you've, you've invested uh 45 60 minutes in listening to this episode Go ahead. Toss back 30 seconds of your life to us and and shoot us a review. If it's funny and five stars, you just might get your 15 seconds of fame on the Bad Crypto podcast and be inducted into the Review Hall of Fame in the Republic of Bad Cryptopia.
2: Mm -hmm. And actually, you don't even have to leave a review. Just go and leave a rating. Worst case scenario, leave a rating, you know, four or five stars, preferably preferably five stars if it's a one star uh, please go ahead and send us an email at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com and we'll send vinnie and Vito over to your house and help you reconsider it'll be like you don't like bad crypto so much huh yeah. ah, what do you think about it now <sighs> ah!
0: it's no. great i love it it's gonna teach you to stay bad you know what i'm saying forget about it Who's that?